Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone, and today we are in week 16 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today we have a full plate. We're going to be talking about questions 40 through 44, and and the theme of this particular section of the Catechism has to do with death and hell. Particularly, we're going to be talking about Jesus' death and, well, whether or not he actually descended to hell. So over the last 15 weeks of working through this catechism, I have received more questions about this particular topic than any other. The Apostles' Creed contains a phrase that is more than a little strange when you think about it. Now, here's the the phrase in question. This comes right out of the middle of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Everything to this point is fine, but here is the controversial phrase, he descended into Hades, or some versions actually say hell, and the third day he rose from the dead. Now, you may already know this, But that little phrase, he descended into Hades, or hell, is the most contested line in this creed. Now, what does it mean? I mean, is it true? Should we just leave it out, or is there a way for us to understand this phrase that is helpful to the Christian today? Now, we're going to discuss that in just a minute. But for now, let's get started um, by looking at question 40 and working through these questions together. So here's question 40. Why was it necessary for Christ to suffer death? And here's the answer. Because by reason of the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Now, the first few questions this week are fairly easy for us to answer and understand as they make plain what Christ accomplished for us when he died. I mean, basically what we're doing here is we're trying to understand exactly what Jesus accomplished and how, on the cross and how that benefits us. Question 40 is asking, why did our Messiah have to die? What was the point of it all and what did it accomplish? Well, Jesus' death was necessary. Because he had come to save us from our sins, and the proper payment for sin is death. We read about this in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But, but this question and answer goes back even further than Romans. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. When God gave Adam the instruction about not eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he issued a warning that if they did eat from its fruit, they would surely die. Death is the just penalty, uh, penalty for sinning against the law and commands of God. So, Why was it necessary for Christ to suffer death? Because God's justice demands it. In order for Christ to save us from our sin, he had to die for our sin, and that is what he did. And that's what the next question brings out and asks, why was he buried? And the answer is to show thereby that he was really dead. The death he died, he truly died. And it was symbolized or revealed in the fact that he was buried. Now this question, why was he buried? This is perhaps the easiest question that we will answer, not only this week, but throughout the entire catechism, because it simply makes sense. A person is buried to show that they are dead, to show that they are truly dead. 
not mostly dead, as we read about in some fantasy stories. Over the years, there have been some theories floating around among other religious groups that Jesus didn't actually die. Some claim that he simply passed out. It's called the swoon theory. And that later on, he revived in the tomb and then he pushed his way out. Uh, Even in the New Testament, there is evidence of early Jewish stories aimed to deny that Jesus died. I mean, you can read about this in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. But the simple reality is that Jesus was buried because he actually died. Here's what the Gospel of Mark says about Jesus on this day. Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Well, there it is. Jesus was buried because he was actually dead. Okay, question number 42. Since then Christ died for us, why must we also die? Now, that's a good question. And here's the answer from the catechism. Our death does not pay the price for our sins in the sense that Jesus did. Rather, it puts an end to our sinning and is our entrance into eternal life. Now, this is a great question, and I'm going to kind of take it in the the reverse order here. The question is, why must we also die? Since Jesus died for us, paying the penalty for our sins, therefore death is no longer something that we must pay as a penalty for our sin, then why should we also die? Well, there's plenty of Scripture at our disposal to help us understand and answer this. For instance... In one sense, we need to understand that death is our entrance into eternal life, like the Catechism says. And we read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, We know that while we are at home in the body, meaning we're still alive in this body, we are away from the Lord. That's in 2 Corinthians 5, 6. And then later in verse 8, he says, And we would rather be away from the body so that we can be at home with the Lord. Right, so the idea and the implication here is that so long as we are alive here, we can't cross over the veil between this physical reality and the spiritual reality where Christ is, where he dwells with the Father. The only way to do that is through death. Death is our entrance into eternal life. It's actually been appointed for man to die, and after that comes the judgment or what what we will receive, which would be the entering into the eternal inheritance that has been paid for uh, by Christ, paid for us by Christ. But Christ died in our place to pay the price for our sins, right? Which means that our death is not paying the debt we owe to God, but death is necessary as it frees us from this world and allows us to enter into the eternal life that Christ purchased for us. But the Catechism also points out that death is something to celebrate, not just in that we enter into eternal life, but that it puts an end to our sinning. Now, maybe this is something you haven't thought about. I mean, we certainly don't look to death in those last days, or at least I've never met someone who does, and and think, I just can't wait to be freed from sinning. But maybe we should. 
See, as I grow older in my faith, and, and hopefully more mature, closer to Jesus, I have this deepening sense of my own sin. I see sinful impulses in my heart that I'm ready to be free from. I, I battle temptations that I would rather not have to battle any longer. My flesh is weak. And the promise of death is that death will put an end to my struggle with sin and temptation. Question 43. What further benefit do we receive from the sacrifice and death of Christ on the cross? And the answer is this. Through Christ's death, our old selves are crucified, put to death, and buried with Him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may dedicate ourselves as an offering of gratitude to Him. Now, this question and question 42 go hand in hand in many ways. Yes, death will set us free from the temptation to sin, but we have received something from Jesus that will help us with this, so that sin and temptation will no longer rule over us. And honestly, question 43 and the answer that follows is really seems to have been pulled completely from Paul's logic in the book of Romans. For instance, here's Romans chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no, uh, no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now, that, that's almost exactly the phraseology that we see in the answer to question 43. But then there's more. We, we look ahead to Romans chapter 12 and we read this. Therefore, brothers, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what Paul is teaching us here and what this catechism is reminding us is that by faith we are united with Christ in ways that we really need God to reveal to us. And that is exactly what Paul is doing in this text. He's revealing to us the amazing connections that we need to draw from our relationship to Jesus. Not only have we trusted in Jesus, but we have been united with Jesus in a death like His, in a freedom from sin, and in a resurrection like His. Therefore, understanding the awesome truth of how Jesus' death has been applied to our souls and life, we should be all the more desirous to live the rest of our lives on earth as a living sacrifice of praise to Him. And so question number 43 is really helpful in that we understand that there is greater benefit, um, not just to our past, but also to our future life here on earth because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Okay, finally, let's look at question number 44. Why does the creed add, he descended to Hades? Answer is this, that in my greatest temptations, I may be assured that Christ, my Lord, by his inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors, which he suffered in his soul on the cross and before, has redeemed me from the anguish and torment of hell. Okay, so to make sense out of this question, let's talk about some history. The phrase descended into hell doesn't appear to have been part of the earliest form of this creed. It occurs in only one version of the creed prior to AD 65, and in that version, the phrase was understood to mean that Jesus descended into the grave. 
And personally, I think this is one of the best ways to understand the phrase. There's a difference between the, the, the word Hades, the, the abode of the dead, and hell, the place of eternal punishment. But there's still a small problem. And it has to do with the fact that the phrase just before this says that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. Right? So, so why would the catechism, or I'm sorry, why would the creed state that Jesus was buried and then add another phrase to say the same thing by pointing out that he also descended into the grave, the abode of the dead? I assume that you can see the dilemma. It, it, it would appear as though those are the same thing. But what is so bad about Jesus going into hell? Well, for starters, hell is a place of punishment for sin. And the New Testament understands that Jesus endured the punishment for our sins on the cross, right? The, the New Testament makes so much um, emphasis, places so much emphasis on the cross and never gives us any indication that Jesus suffered in hell. Hell is this place of punishment. And if, if, if Jesus had to go and endure more punishment in hell for us, then that means that Christ's death on the cross was not enough, and therefore he needed to go to hell and finish the job. And this idea doesn't hold up to the rest of the New Testament at all. In fact, John Piper uh, is one who has written and spoken out about this, and he says this, there's no textual basis in the New Testament for claiming that between Good Friday and Easter that Christ was preaching to souls imprisoned in hell or Hades. Piper goes on to argue that the church today should omit the phrase descended into hell in the, in the creed because it causes too much confusion and it's not supported in the Bible. But others, including John Calvin, have said that there is a way that we can understand this phrase so that it benefits us, it helps us. Calvin would have us understand this phrase not in the sense that Jesus entered hell in reality, but that he entered into it spiritually. Not only did Jesus endure the physical pain and suffering on the cross, but he also endured the pain and torment of separation from his Father. Calvin writes, Surely no more terrible abyss can be conceived than to feel yourself forsaken and estranged from God, and when you call upon him, not to be heard. And this can be a comfort to us because it tells us there is no hellish experience that we can have in this life where Christ cannot identify with us and offer us comfort as one who has made it through to the other side. How many of us have thought at times, why doesn't it feel like God hears me? Why does it seem as though I am alone, separated from Him? Well, if that is your experience, and, and we would understand that Jesus descended into hell in that way, then we can have comfort knowing that our Savior, Lord, and High Priest has endured what we're enduring, or at least in part. In other words, you can read this phrase from the Creed and understand that Jesus' death on the cross was more than physical. It was also spiritual. And when you remember this fact, it can comfort you in your spiritual trials, knowing that you are loved and kept by the one who has faced something very similar, yet even worse. Now, Thank you so much for joining me today to discuss the Heidelberg Catechism. I hope not only that this has been helpful and encouraging, but I hope that you will join me again next week as we look at Lord's Day 17 together and discuss question 45. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. 
You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.